The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's a Wednesday edition of PFTPM. As originally envisioned, I was just going to answer some questions. Then I decided I would address some topics. Then life got in the way of my plans for today because after I finished the entire podcast, Pete Carroll out as the Seahawks head coach. So we're going to start there and then we'll play everything else that we already have in the can, as they say. Pete Carroll has gotten canned, although they're presenting it in a very positive way. They're doing with Pete Carroll what I think Bill Belichick and the Patriots would like to do if only Bill Belichick would go along with it. The word amicably was used in the statement from the Seattle Seahawks. Pete Carroll is becoming an advisor. He's not going to move on to another team, although I think if he wants to go coach somewhere else, they probably wouldn't stand in his way. But this is all being presented as something very positive, even though in reality, Carroll is out after 14 years as coach of the team. Two Super Bowl appearances, a Super Bowl win, great winning percentage. He's tied for 14th all time. Remember, he coached the Jets and the Patriots before going to USC and then landing back in the NFL with the Seahawks. So it's kind of surprising. And what makes it surprising, and you'll hear this later in the podcast unless they clip it out. I was asked a question, I think, about the Seahawks, Pete Carroll, who they should target if they would move on from him. So whoever was asking the question must have known something. But because I didn't think they would. Here's why I didn't think they would. I felt like the team is moving toward a say. And the reality is the Paul Allen estate requires his assets to be sold and the proceeds to be given to charity, but it doesn't set a timeline for it. And this tells me Jody Allen, his sister, isn't planning to sell anytime soon, because if she is, that complicates the process of hiring another coach. You want to know if you go take this job, there's stability. If you know the team is going to be sold and you're going to be Ron Rivera in Washington or Ron Rivera in Carolina, it makes the job not as attractive as it could be. If Jody Allen tells you, I'm not selling this team for 10 more years, or the contract is written a way to protect the coach and ensure that no change is going to be made, there'd be some gigantic payment he would get if the team was sold before a set timeline. That makes it an attractive spot. And it is an attractive spot. You know the first name I thought of? Jim Harbaugh. Because he would love to face the 49ers twice a year. Oh, yes, he would. He'd say otherwise. He'd love to face the 49ers twice a year. Would love it. Now, if Pete Carroll's still there as an advisor, I don't know how that goes. Remember, that was the old what's your deal thing between Harbaugh and Carroll. But even with the history there, it's undeniable that Harbaugh would be a great coach of that team. And they're in a position now to go after Mike Gray, go after Bill Belichick. Wouldn't that be something? Carroll, an advisor, Belichick, who beat the Seahawks in Super Bowl 49 comes in as a head coach. They are in a position, though, where they've got the money. The organization has the reputation. 
winning culture, great fan base, becomes a very attractive job. Assuming if, my assumption is correct, Jody Allen isn't selling the team anytime soon. Because once you introduce the new owner to the operation, the new owner may want to make changes, just like Josh Harris in Washington. So three things to watch. One, does Pete Carroll maybe get some delayed interest from another team and would he leave? Two, is there going to be any type of clarity from the Seahawks regarding when Jody Allen will sell? They've been very vague about that for years now. And three, who do they go get? How attractive is that job? That job isn't as attractive as it could be with uncertainty as to how long she will continue to own the team. And the money here becomes very interesting because, you know, this team's going to be sold at a ridiculous windfall. With every passing year, the value of the team goes up well beyond whatever you're going to pay a coach or really your entire staff. The value of these teams, look at it, it went from $4.6 billion, I think. Was that the magic number for the Broncos up to $6.05 billion for the Commanders in just a year? You get $8 billion for the Seahawks, and all that money is going to go to charity whenever Jody Allen sells the team. So I assume she will continue to run the team. She seems to enjoy it. And when it's time, it's time, and she'll sell the team. And the question becomes, how much time will this coach get until a new owner has the Seahawks? I had always thought Pete Carroll would just ride it out until Jody Allen sold. Now, obviously, that's not happening. Key question going forward, what kind of security will the new coach have? The more security, the more likely they are to go out and get themselves a great head coach. I saw a tweet that Pat McAfee announced on his show today that Aaron Rodgers won't be back for the balance of the season. Now, when I first saw it, I thought, well, it kind of felt like it was goodbye for the rest of the season yesterday because the Jets are done, the season's over. I guess he could keep coming back and talking about playoff games and whatnot, but it felt like it was as final as his end-of-season press conference one day early. But then I found the clip that Pat posted on his X page, and I, I watched it. And it's pretty clear that Pat McAfee is making the decision to, at least for now, move on from something that was becoming more trouble for his show and the network to which he has licensed its show than it's worth. Everything about the Aaron Rodgers experience had become a distraction for what Pat McAfee's show is all about. It's about sports. It's about fun. It's about humor. It's not about these heavy conversations and these conspiracy theories and other QAnon-level concepts that Aaron Rodgers feels compelled to interject without warning or to take shots at a colleague at ABC and Jimmy Kimmel in a very inartful way. We could have a fair argument over whether Rodgers said or implied or suggested that Jimmy Kimmel's name would be on the Jeffrey Epstein client list. The bottom line is it added nothing to what they were talking about. It was a gratuitous and stupid attempt at being snarky, edgy, humorous, whatever. And even if Aaron Rodgers meant to suggest in that moment that Jimmy Kimmel would be upset about the release of the Jeffrey Epstein client list simply because such a thing exists, that that's just dumb because that distorts why Kimmel 
made fun of Rogers in the first place. He didn't make fun of Rogers because Rogers believed the list existed. He made fun of Rogers because Rogers thought that reports about UFO sightings were a distraction by the government from the looming disclosure of the Epstein list. So that's how it started. And we now know how it ended yesterday from Rogers was rambling, confusing. And look, wherever you stood on COVID, pro-vaccine, anti-vaccine, pro-mask, anti-mask, pro-school closings, anti-school closings, wherever you stood, nobody gives a shit anymore. We've moved past, we got enough to worry about in the year 2024 than how we handled, mishandled, properly handled, unhandled the COVID situation. We have new challenges, new horizons, new beginnings. It's now an endemic virus to the population. It's around. And if people choose to get a booster every few months to protect themselves against serious illness, that's their business. If they choose not to, that's their business. If you have Rogers to just dive into the deep end of the pool as the long rambling windup to what was never going to be an apology to Jimmy Kimmel was just weird. And I could sense it in Pat's body language. I don't know him well enough to really be able to read his body language completely, but I could tell he was just getting to the point where, you know, enough's enough. And maybe that relationship has run its course. And frankly, and Pat's got really good instincts. I don't care whether you're pro-Pat, anti-Pat, he's got great instincts and he's a great businessman. He understands it's no longer good for his business to be associated with someone who's going to spew this nonsense and take the focus away from what they're there for. He understands it. And he presented it in a way that shouldn't be offensive to Aaron Rodgers. But if it is, hey, tough shit, Aaron, right? Pat will keep his million dollars or so or whatever he's paying Aaron Rodgers, pay it to somebody else and move on. It's that simple. So it was gutsy because we know how sensitive Aaron Rodgers is. I want to underscore that fact. What Pat said today on his show took a lot of guts because Aaron Rodgers is super sensitive and Aaron Rodgers is going to find something in what Pat McAfee said that will cause him quite likely to turn his back on Pat McAfee, to turn his back on ESPN, to turn his back on the Pat McAfee show, and then maybe find some other outlet where he can talk about how Pat didn't have the courage to stand with someone who was being canceled by the woke establishment or whatever other bullshit Aaron Rodgers likes to spew. And I'm at the point, I'm done, I'm out. I know he's got a plan, I know I'm going to cover him. And I actually was duped into becoming very smitten with the Aaron Rodgers story. We like a good story. Aaron Rodgers is the Jets quarterback, great story. Not as great this year as it was last year, hard knocks. I It worked. It sucked me in. Now I'm out. And I'm not, like, temporarily out. I'm out, out. And if I ever end up back in, I want somebody to play this for me and say, hey, remember? Remember this guy? You are out. Get out. So I'm out. All right. Uh, here's something else I'm out on. And, you know, I... I start down this path. You know, you just kind of walk down the path. I, I start down this carefully. I want to have a conversation about GAM. I made some comments last week on the joint PFTPM, Chris Sims, Hunt Button comment, uh, a podcast about gambling. And I, I guess we had too much time and they got, uh, you know, scrubbed. So I just want, I want to mention a couple of things that I have concerns about. Now, 
my dad was a bookie. I've been very open about that. Some of the things I witnessed as a kid became the inspiration for my novel, Father of Mine, set in 1973. You can get it wherever you get your books. Actually, you can get it at Amazon. But regardless, if you haven't gotten it, go get it, read it. Off-season's coming. You might like it. Back when gambling was illegal, you had to really want to do it. And look, a lot of people became gambling addicts, but you had to really want to do it. You had to be willing to do something that you knew at some level wasn't kosher. It's against the law. You can get in trouble in theory. You had to go find a guy. You had to deal with, you know, somebody who, if you get a little too far in debt, maybe somebody shows up and, you know, they're going to break your thumbs or break your knees or do whatever to get their money. I just think the the way that gambling happened when it was illegal was a deterrent for a lot of people to even start down that path. Now, it's legal in most states. Now, all you need is your cell phone device. Now, all you have to do is download the app. Now, all you have to do is put in your credit card information. Now, all you have to do is bet and bet and bet and bet. Oh, I lost. I'll win the next one and make it back. Oh, I lost. I'll win the next one and make it back. You get that little dopamine rush when you win. You want to chase that feeling. You want to keep it going. You ignore the losses. You just want to win. Oh, I lost. All right, I'll win the next time and I'll get that little dopamine rush. One of the reasons I don't bet, two reasons. One, my dad told me when I was young, you can't win. And I took it to heart. And number two, he told me that, what did he tell me? Shit, I can't remember. Boy, I had two good points and I can't remember what the other one was. Maybe that's why I don't bet. Maybe my brain is too impaired to remember who I'm actually going to bet on. Anyway, anyway, what's the other reason? Oh, I know who it is. He didn't tell me this. This is just how I am. The losses hurt more than the wins. That's why Bill Parcells eventually retired from coaching. He got to the point where the despair he felt after losing outweighed the euphoria he felt after winning. For me, losing $5 would hurt more than winning 50 So it's just not worth it because you will lose. And over time, your best case scenario, if you're going to do it. And I've been trying to add the words after we do DraftKings Reads on PFT Live. And that's an NBC deal. That's not a PFT deal. Look at PFT. We have no DraftKings sponsorship, FanDuel sponsorship. There's no sponsored posts. We've had opportunities to do that. I've resisted it. Now, you know, if the, if the price reached a certain level, it might be a little more of a moral dilemma for me. But I'm glad that for now we're on the right side of this because I think we just need to be careful and we need to see how this goes. Maybe after five, six, seven years, who knows? But my concern is it's all too available. I've been trying to say when I do these reads, please bet responsibly. It can't just be an 800 number buried in the fine print at the bottom of a graphic. It's got to be something that the people who are telling you about betting need to say, please bet responsibly. Sometimes people just need to hear those words. Sometimes they need to have it broken down. Very simply, you've got discretionary income. And I, I never kept a budget. I hated that. It was too much work. If you keep a budget, you got a certain amount of money that you spend on rent. You got money you spend on food. You got money you spend on utilities. You got money you spend on insurance. You got money you spend on entertainment. That's discretionary. Movies, shows, concerts, gambling, stuff that you don't need. Make sure when you do gamble, and I'm not saying you shouldn't gamble. I'm just saying don't do it in a way that causes problems for yourself and your family. That's my concern. We're going to find out down the road that there have been families derailed by this, children who go hungry because of it, families who end up broken because 
one of the two people in charge of the family unit ends up getting addicted to gambling, which is a real thing. So anyway, you just got to keep that in mind if you're going to gamble. Bet responsibly only. And we see these commercials from time to time, like there's one with Kurt Warner now. But, but we need to take it to heart. We can't just get numb to it. Only bet what you can afford to lose. It's a simple concept, but you have to be disciplined about it. You have to be disciplined in your gambling. You know, we're going back to Las Vegas in a few weeks. I haven't been there since 1986. And I'll spare you the, well, I'll tell you the details. I was in a co-op work program at a Chevron refinery in Northern California back in 85, 86, 87, when I was in college in Pittsburgh. So one time, and this was January of 1986. So I'd have my car out there for my nine months of the year that I'd be there because I was going to be there for the spring semester of 86 and the fall semester of 86. I wanted to have a car. It's kind of hard to just do what you want to do and get around without a car. So I drove cross country and a buddy of mine came with me and we stopped in Las Vegas and we were playing craps or something. And he was up. He was up about a hundred bucks, which was a lot when you're 21 years old. I was even 20, 20 years old. What a different world. And I'm not saying, look, I was a grown man. I was legal. I could go do what I want. But the idea of the parents of a 20-year-old saying, sure, go drive your car across country today. I don't think it will go over as easily as it did in 1986. But my buddy was up about 100 bucks. And again, that's a lot of money back then when you got 20, when you're 20 years old. And if you have 20 bucks, it's a big deal. But he was so concerned he was going to become addicted to gambling that he kept betting until he lost everything he had won. And then he could say, that's it. I'm done. I'm not tempted to keep doing this. I'm not deluding myself into thinking I can win. There's a lot of wisdom in that. And your best case scenario, as I was saying earlier, is to just get to a point where it's a wash and you've been entertained. Or you lose a little bit, but that's part of your entertainment dollars. You know, it, it shouldn't be free to have the entertainment that comes from the extra boost in interest and excitement that you have from watching a game. It comes from gambling. I say, I don't need that. I love the games for what they are. I don't need, like fantasy football, I do it because people I know expect me to. If it was up to me, I'm sorry, I wouldn't do it. I don't really care about it. I care about watching the games. I don't like having that extra, oh, I need so-and-so to get 50 yards or whatever it is. I, I don't like that. I just want to watch the games and enjoy them for what they are. Anyway, my point is this. We get bombarded with these ads now. And it's everywhere. This isn't where you have to go find a guy or find somebody who knows a guy. Anybody who wants to gamble can gamble. I think it's an obligation on all of us in the sports media, and plenty of us are making a shitload of money from it, a lot more than I ever will or want to until the price is right. But I think we all have a shared obligation to tell people and mean it. Please bet responsibly. Your family is counting on you to do so. All right. It's awards season, at least it is for PFT. We'll find out the official awards a month from Monday. The 8th of February is the night they do the NFL honors. All of the ballots from the 50 voters, Chris Sims, Shereen Williams, Peter King, and I each have a ballot. They're due at 5 p.m. Eastern today. I've already turned mine in. All pro votes were due on Monday. The all pro team is going to be announced on Friday. We have our own awards. And this year, what I decided to do, because what I've done in the past, I'll just kind of seek input from the other writers, but at the end of the day, I decide who wins it. This year I said, you know what we're gonna do? We're, we're gonna do a real vote. For MVP, we'll go five deep. For every other award, we go three deep. 
And we do executive of the year. That's something the AP doesn't do. We do all the other AP awards and we're working our way through them. And I'm writing all the posts. It doesn't take very long in the grand scheme of things. Instead of giving this one to this one, this one to I'll just do it. And we've done four of them so far. Offensive rookie of the year, CJ Stroud. Defensive rookie of the year, Kobe Turner. Coach of the year, Kevin Stefanski. And assistant coach of the year, Jim Schwartz. Five more to go. You'll see him at PFT. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. You can regard it as noise or you can regard it as recognition, acknowledgement of five people who spend a lot of their time covering the NFL and who watch all the games and who have a pretty good understanding of who's doing the job well, who's doing the job not well, who deserves the recognition when the time comes to give out the awards. And you will continue to see those at PFT. I'd like to get them all done before the playoff games start on Saturday. That's my goal. I've got four done since yesterday. I'd like to think I can get five done maybe by Friday. Head, I head to Connecticut on Friday because we've got two games Saturday and one game Sunday. Six games this weekend. First time ever our network's got three playoff games the same weekend. And while I'm in this vicinity, let me just say this. A lot of people have been complaining to me about the Peacock game. And I get it. I get it. My show's on Peacock. NBC logo is on my website. We've been tied to NBC for 15 years now. Now, NBC doesn't own ProFootballTalk.com. Common misconception. We have an exclusive licensing deal where all of our content is distributed by NBCSports.com. If there was ever an end to the relationship, ProFootballTalk.com would go back to being an independent, or independent operation with no obligation to NBC or anyone else unless and until we did a deal with someone else. But there's enough of a tie between me and NBC, between Football Night in America, PFT Live on Peacock, People are going to complain to me about the Peacock game, and, th and th that's fine. But, you know, one of the common complaints I'm getting is, well, this sets a precedent for the future. And I understand people are upset about this. I understand that it's changed. I understand that you got to find another six bucks a month out of your budget that you have available for entertainment. But the future isn't coming. Future's here. Future started in 2022 when the Thursday night package went to Amazon. And I don't know a lot of the ins and outs of how the Peacock game came to be. They only wake me up for the unimportant meetings. But I have a feeling that game on Saturday night was going to be streamed by somebody. Amazon, Peacock, ESPN+, Plus, Paramount, Netflix, Apple, would have been hard to go beyond any of the existing broadcast partners but if everybody says no somebody says yes off you go so streaming isn't the future streaming is the present anybody, anybody's got a smart tv knows that we cut the cord and it wasn't really the cord we we busted the satellite dish maybe five years ago and i was very nervous about it. how's this going to work youtube tv is where we get the bulk of our of our content now which was you know, the simulation of what used to be our cable or direct TV package. But between my house and my barn, I was paying more money than I even like to admit just because it's embarrassing I was paying that much a month without being a little more you know, of a, of a good steward with my money. Like, why are you paying this much? I had to have two hookups. The barn was too far from the house. And it's like, yeah, hey, the hell with this. And so we have two different YouTube TV accounts and we have all the streaming services, I think. There's probably some we don't know about. But... You know, that's the way the world is now. And like I said, when you turn on that TV, 
You see all the apps, you see all the boxes. It's overwhelming if you're not used to it. So the bottom line is, if you don't live in Miami or Kansas City where the game will be available over the air, you have to get Peacock and it's $5.99 for one month. And all, all I'm saying is try it out. I wish I had the discretion to give out like, you know, $1.99 for a one month trial or something like that. I, because there's so much there. If you like The Office, and I, I know I sound like a show, but I'm just trying to be realistic with people who are resistant to it. I think there's a natural resistance to it that we need to use a little logic and common sense to bust through. All The Office episodes are on there. The first six seasons, there are extended episodes with stuff you've never seen before, and it's good stuff. It's new. I go back and watch those now instead of the regular episodes. There's a lot of movies. There's a lot of other shows. All the NBC content's on there. There's different channels. There's so much stuff. For $5.99, it really is worth it. Like, you could get enough from just Peacock to outweigh what you used to get in the 80s or 90s from your total cable package. By the time you find all the stuff on there, you basically, if you unbundled it, you could create an entire dial of cable channels that you're getting for $5.99 a month. That's my, that's my best pitch. I admit my bias, unlike others who are company people, who try not to act like company people, even though they are company people. I admit my bias freely, but if you want to watch the game on Saturday night, I mean, I know I'd pay it. I probably wouldn't be happy about it. Maybe I'd be willing to listen to someone like me. I still probably wouldn't be happy about it, but you got two choices. When Well, you got three. One, get Peacock. Two, go to a bar or restaurant that has it. Three, break out the old transistor radio and listen to it there. Monday night's game is on both ABC and ESPN. You know, ESPN was the original, you got to pay to see it. When they started doing the packages, they split it. Didn't they split it between ESPN and TNT, the Sunday night package? The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because... If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Anyway, ESPN, ABC, ESPN2, wherever on Monday night is going to have the Eagles-Buccaneers game. And I don't believe Nick Sirianni is on the hot seat right now. I think if they lose on Monday night, he will be next year. I think if they win on Monday night and lose the following week, he likely will be next year. 
I think if they lose in embarrassing fashion on Monday night and the team still looks like it's kind of lost its way and the demeanor is flat, I just wonder what's going to happen next. This is a team that fired Doug Peterson after, what, three years following a Super Bowl win? And we were spitballing earlier today. And, and it's funny because Chris and I started by saying the only place Mike Vrabel is going to go now that he's been fired by the Titans is to the Patriots. And then once we started thinking about it and talking about it, well, you know, the Steelers drafted him. What if Mike Tomlin leaves? And well, what if Andy Reid retires? Play for the Chiefs two seasons to end his career. And then somebody emailed, what about the Eagles? Yeah. Is Vrabel upgrade to Sirianni? What would Vrabel have done with the roster that Sirianni has? that was built by Howie Roseman. So I just wonder whether or not Jeffrey Lurie, the owner of the team, is entertaining the possibility of trying to upgrade from Sirianni to Vrabel, or even Bill Belichick. And that's where the business considerations that go into making these big decisions comes up against the requirements imposed by the league to conduct a fair and inclusive search. If you have a coach that you're content with and you would only move on from that coach if you could get somebody that you regard as an upgrade, it's kind of hard to do it in a way that complies with the letter and the spirit of the Rooney rule. Mark Davis got away with it in 2017? 2017. He got away with it that year when Jack Del Rio was the coach, had just been to the playoffs the year before, but John Gruden's finally ready to coach. Gruden out, Del Rio in. I think Del Rio wouldn't have been fired, but for the fact that Mark Davis knew he could hire John Gruden. The league gave him a pass. I think the league always gives teams a pass when it comes to the Rooney Rule because the league doesn't want to tell the world, hey, you know what? We got teams that are blatantly violating the letter and or the spirit of the Rooney Rule. I just, I don't know how you can pull that off now. And if you're Jeffrey Lurie and you're thinking, I'm perfectly content with Nick Sirianni, but I'd be even more content with Mike Vrabel or Bill Belichick. You know, you really do have to work a lot of it behind the scenes, which violates the spirit of the rules. You got to make sure the guy wants it. You got to know what you're going to pay him. You got to just get everything lined, like lining up the dominoes. And before you hit the first one, you got to know they're all lined up and they're all going to fall the right way. And then you fire your coach, you go through the search process, interview this person, this person, this person, this person, and then at the end of the day, you decide the best person for the job is the person you've already decided to hire for the job. So my point is this. If they lose and they don't look great in doing so on Monday night, I don't know what's going to happen with the Eagles and Nick Sirianni, but I do know this. Mike Vrabel's currently available, and Bill Belichick could soon be available. All right. Now we get to the questions. As usual, I spent more time than I wanted to talking about the other stuff, but I, I think that most of it, some of it is useful. All right, uh, let me find the questions here. I had them up and now I gotta find them again. Here we go. Gotta find the tweet. Here's the tweet. Here are the questions. Starting with PFT PM Posse, what will the winners of this year's PFT awards receive as their prize? Well, this year, folks, what the winners will receive, it's the same gift, it's the same prize for all of them. The satisfaction of knowing that they have won the award. 
See, I started down this path two years ago when Vrabel was the PFT coach of the year, and I texted him to tell him, and he said, what do I get? And I just joked and said a canned ham. That was one of David Letterman's old lines. He'd always talk about canned hams. And Vrabel responded by saying, I like honey baked. And I thought, you know what? I mean, it's 100 bucks. I sent a honey baked ham to Vrabel at Titans headquarters as his prize. So last year, when we get to the Super Bowl and we start having these guys on in advance of the Chiefs-Eagles game, you know, throughout the course of the week, guys are there, they get paid, I assume, good money to go from station to station to station, show to show to show. And some of the awards winners ended up on the program. And I got a little carried away. I was having a good time. Christian McCaffrey, he was comeback player of the year last year for PFT. He wanted to, you know, wait, what do you want? What do you want? And yeah, I got Chris Sims goading me. What do you want? No, he wanted a nice putter. We got him a nice, oh, we got him a nice putter. Oh, oh, we got him a nice putter. And then who was next? Justin Jefferson wanted a gaming PC. We got him a nice gaming PC, folks. Oh, yes, we did. And then Howie Roseman, when we finally had him on the show, at the combine, and even though he insulted me by saying, I look like a guy who lost a lot of weight and was too cheap to go buy new clothes. We made like a donation equivalent to what we had spent on the most expensive prize. So this thing got expensive real fast. Long story short, ain't doing it this year. Sorry, and I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna let Sims talk me into it if one of these guys ends up on the set for Super Bowl week. No, you're not getting it. I'll have a trophy made or something. I'll get some Dundee awards. I'm not going to just say, tell me what you want. Tell me what you want and I'll buy it for you. What an idiot to do something like that. All right. PFT PM Posse. If someone has options, why would they choose to work for the NFL when they seem to fire layoff whenever a bunch of people seemingly every year, especially when the NFL is making more money than they or anybody else knows what to do with? Well, it's an interesting question because yesterday news broke from, I believe it was Terry Lefton of Sports Business Journal, 200 league employees have been offered a buyout package, which is the precursor to layoffs. Before we have to decide who we're going to let go, let's just dangle a big fat carrot to maybe get some of these people who we would like to have leave, get up and leave. And the risk that you encounter when you do that tells you how badly they want to get rid of people. You're risking that good people that you want to keep are going to say, I'm out. I'm out. So, you know, I assume that people who grow up as football fans, who get brainwashed by everything that the shield is all about, big shield, see the shield, love your team, love the sport, looks great on TV. Yeah, I want to work there. Well, it's like anywhere else. It's a business. Football is family. No, 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 no. How many times do I have to say that? Football isn't family. Football is business. And it's good for business to say football is family. It's not a family. It is a business. And I remember the first time I heard it, I was as mad as I was the first time my dad was trying to tell me wrestling was fake. I don't want to think of it as a business. I want to think of it as a sport that is conducted for the sheer joy and purity of sport. And it's not. If it was, somebody would have signed Lamar Jackson to an offshoot in 2023. PFTPM Posse, why were the NFL ratings so high in 2015 that we're comparing all other NFL season ratings in 2015? What were the reasons the 2015 ratings were so high compared to pre and post? Well, the 2023 viewership, average viewership per game, 
highest since 2015. The record is 2010. 2015 was the last high water mark. And what happened in 2016? What happened? A lot of people paying attention to a fairly significant presidential election that year. And... Colin Kaepernick and the anthem protest. And that trickled into 2017. And I think since then, it's been the gradual build back up, build back up, build back up. And here we are. There hasn't been any type of controversy that has prompted anyone to swear off the NFL for a short or long period of time. Although there are people huffing and puffing about the streaming playoff game being the thing that's going to cause them to turn their back on the NFL. PFTPM Posse, do you think Stephen Jones will slide into the GM spot like Jerry once the senior Jones steps back, if he ever steps back? That's an interesting question. Jerry Jones made himself the GM of the team when he bought the team. And in 1989, there wasn't the media infrastructure to question loudly whether or not he's lost his damn mind. Stephen Jones is still in a position where he's worked within the football operations long enough. I think we would accept he's done enough work as a football executive that I think generally the media and the fans would say, well, it makes sense that Stephen Jones becomes the general manager of the team. Who else would it be? And I've always liked the fact that they are willing to put their name to the job. It would be very easy to have a GM who does what you tell him to do. You're the one calling the shots. And when it goes sideways, he's the one who gets fired. The buck stops with you. And I remember Bob Costas asking Jerry Jones years ago, if you could fire yourself, would you have fired yourself? And he said, yeah, I would have done it by now. I would have fired myself as the GM if I could. So when you make yourself the GM, you're putting your own personal accountability out there. And you ultimately don't have to worry about being fired because as we know, they can't fire the owners. All right. This is an interesting question. R.B. Ruffins. I've been a music major in college and grad school, but I'm thinking about writing about my college's football team on the side. I think I'll have enough time to put some effort into it because I'd love to be a writer someday. Do you have some tips? Tip number one is when you're getting started, you just have to work and work and work and read. You learn to write by reading. I'm a self-taught writer because I was a voracious reader. You learn how people use words to communicate in a modern fashion, whether it's writing about football, whether it's fiction, whether it's anything. You learn to write by reading. Do a lot of reading. Make the time to do the writing. Try to find a place where you can just put your ideas out there and hope that it sticks. Hope that you have the competence. It can't just be hard work without competence. There's got to be a basic level of competence and ability. You got to be able to create something with your hard work that people will actually want to consume. That's the great tragedy when you've got all the will in the world. You've got all the time in the world. You've got the willingness to work and work and work and work and work, but you just can't find a platform. Now, look, I had a couple of platforms before I started this, but best decision I ever made. Spend the money. $500 to start it up and $50 a month to maintain it. To start ProFootballTalk.com, November 1, 2001. From a business standpoint, the best decision I've ever made and probably the best decision I will ever make. Joseph Green, speaking of decisions, how should the Jets deal with Zach Wilson? 
Should they draft a backup or let GM Aaron Rodgers decide who his backup should be? First and foremost, the Jets have to get out of the Aaron Rodgers is the de facto GM business. Give him a seat at the table, but tell him we're going to make the decisions. Let the professionals handle it. You handle throwing the football, we'll handle picking who your teammates are going to be. Now, with Zach Wilson, his contract for next year is fully guaranteed. So unless you can trade him, I don't know. Could you trade him for a late round pick to go be somebody's backup with a fresh start, clean slate, new coaches, new attitude? You know, it was a great vibe throughout the preseason. He played well in the preseason. And then Aaron Rodgers gets injured on the fourth snap of the opening game. And it just, you know, I don't know, man. Does he just need a fresh start? And how should he get it? Should they trade him or should they just cut him loose, knowing that they're going to owe him this fourth year salary? This is a point I made last year when they fell out of love with Zach Wilson and it looked like they were going to move on. I think for some teams, there's a concern that if we have a guy who isn't getting it done and we cut him loose, we're going to deal with a Chris Carter blowback on the back end. All he does is catch touchdowns. You know, the Eagles cut Chris Carter. Buddy Ryan said dismissively, all he does is catch touchdowns. He goes to Minnesota and becomes a Hall of Famer. It was the Vikings and the Giants who put in waivers claims for Chris Carter in 1990 when the Eagles cut him. And the Eagles still can't live that down 30-plus years later. There's fear, I think, that if the Jets give up on Zach Wilson, he goes somewhere else and he turns into a real player, then it makes the, look, the Jets look like real idiots for not getting the most out of him. But the other side of the coin is, if that's how you're going to treat your young quarterbacks, I, I still think we are moving toward the time where quarterbacks especially will be willing to say to teams that draft them, I'm not coming. I'm not coming. I don't want to play for you. I'm going to start my career somewhere else. I can sit out a year to make it happen. I will because I've got all my NIL money that I can live off of and then some. You want to be a place where young quarterbacks thrive, not where they struggle, not where they get mistreated. And if my son was drafted by the Jets in round one to be a quarterback, I'd have some misgivings about how they handled Zach Wilson. And I guess those misgivings become a little bit less if they would just go ahead and cut him and let him move on with his career and give him the fresh start that I think he deserves. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Sean Brown, any chance Pete Carroll steps down and the Seahawks get in the race for one of the hot available coaches? The roster is too talented for the team to be so average. Here's the reality in Seattle. Jody Allen is running the team. Jody Allen eventually is going to sell the team under the terms of her late brother Paul Allen's will, which requires his assets to be sold and the money to be donated to the various charitable causes he supports. But there's no deadline for doing it. I think there's like up to 20 years for her to do it. And I think as long as she hasn't sold the team, and you've got Pete Carroll there, and you've got John Schneider there, and the team is competitive. Think about the alternative. If you move on from Pete Carroll, and you want to go out and get Mike Vrabel or Jim Harbaugh, 
Wouldn't that be something? The guy who was the 49ers coach becomes a Seahawks coach. It's a factor for the coach who has options to know he's stepping into a spot where there may be a new owner in the next two, three, four years. And you could always draft the contract so that if the team sold, there's some significant amount of money that gets paid to the coach and the coach just has the right to tear it up and walk away and go get his freedom. I mean, there's ways you can protect yourself against it, but I don't want to go somewhere thinking I can be there 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. I wouldn't want to go somewhere thinking I'm only here as long as Jody Allen owns the team. We saw what happened to Ron Rivera, both in Washington and in Carolina. I think that that, if she's thinking about selling in the next few years, and who knows when she's going to sell, but if she's thinking about doing the next few years, I think it just makes sense to ride it out with Pete Carroll and find a way to get Pete Carroll, who doesn't seem to be slowing down, to ride it out as well. Assassin 16, in the past, you postulated that someone attempted to sabotage C.J. Stroud's value so he would drop to them. Is it not possible it was David Tepper who made it look like the Panthers drafted the right quarterback? David Tepper fired the GM, scapegoat to cover up, insisting on Young. I like the thought. I still tend to think it was either another team that wanted Bryce Young to fall or an agent representing one of the other quarterbacks who wanted his or her client to be taken higher than Bryce Young. There's enough former Panthers out there now, guys who were fired, who are in a position where if they wanted to spill the beans off the record to reporters, they could. And maybe they just don't want to jeopardize their buyouts. I think that's the key. Once the buyouts are expired for guys like Frank Reich or Reich, if you're David Tepper, guys like Scott Fitter, guys like Josh McCown, others who were fired. Once the buyouts expired, maybe that's when they start talking. Maybe that's when we start hearing some of the things that happened on the record or off the record in the run-up to the implementation of David Tepper's decision to draft Bryce Young. Tom Marshall, a good friend from the UK, who gets picked up first, Derrick Henry or Saquon Barkley? All depends upon whether or not the Giants franchise tag again. They can he didn't secure an agreement that they won't. Henry gave us a great closing argument. Saquon Barkley had a good final game. And look, does Henry end up wherever Mike Vrabel goes? Depends on what they currently have at tailback. But I think they're both going to be on a team. When they get signed is going to, I think, hinge on their expectations contractually, and what teams are willing to offer. And we see it every year when free agency starts. There's guys who get signed right away. And then there's the guys who maybe wanted more than was out there. And they end up kind of floating around for a couple of weeks until they find a landing spot or longer than that because they thought they were going to get more than they did. So they wait. So I think a lot of it depends upon what they want financially. The less they want the more likely that guy is to get a contract first. John Ramos, what's going on with Wink Martindale and the Giants? Have you ever seen a will-he-won't-he situation like this with a coordinator before? I, this, I think this all comes down to the buyout. And they want to interpret it as he quit. He wants to interpret it as he was fired. And uh, I don't know if there was a little George Costanza going on here where he quit and then showed up the next day and said, I didn't quit. I still work for you. You're going to have to fire me and pay me. It's just weird. And 
I, I tweeted the other day, it's great when the season ends and we finally get some idea of, you know, all the nothing to see here stuff that we get when it looks like there's some sort of problem, issue, fight, whatever. And it looked like there was something up between Brian Dayball, the head coach of the Giants, and Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator. Oh, nothing to see here, nothing to see here, nothing to see here. Plenty to see here once the season ends and plenty to still happen for the New York Giants and Wink Martindale. Hudson Powers, who should the Falcons' top candidates be in order? You know, that ain't for me to decide. I still wonder, number one, is Terry Fontenot safe? Because when it was time for Arthur Blank to do his press conference on Monday, Terry Fontenot wasn't there. It was Blank and it was Rich McKay. And look, I said this a few times this week, and I don't mean this as an offense to Rich McKay. I just think it's a damn good gig. If you end up being in a high-level executive role with a football team and you don't get fired when other people get fired, that you stay. He's the right-hand man to Arthur Blank. And I think a lot of these owners have some insecurity about their understanding of what it takes to hire, what it takes to run the team. I've got other business interests. I need somebody I can trust. And that person doesn't have any accountability. Or if they do, it's very limited accountability. So it's always a weird look when the guy who's in charge of the team on behalf of the owner isn't held to the same standard that the coach and or the GM are held to. But I think that it's possible Fontenot will be out if that's what it takes to get the guy they want. But if I'm them, I'm looking into Bill Belichick. I'm looking into Mike Vrabel. I'm looking into Jim Harbaugh. How much do they want to spend? What's their vision for the team? But it's up to Arthur Blank to ultimately decide who he wants his coach to be. Tyler Herger, should the NFL have a time limit on how long a replay review takes? Yes. Absolutely. Remember there was a time it was 90 seconds and then the thing cut off? Because look at it this way. If it takes more than a minute and a half to see whether or not the ruling on the field was clearly and obviously wrong, wait for it. The ruling on the field isn't clearly and obviously wrong. Because if it's clear and obvious, you'll see it within 90 seconds. You'll see it within 60 seconds. You'll see it within 16 seconds. The one concern that I have that still is kind of lingering and it doesn't get focused on the way it should They've got this modified sky judge, which swoops in from time to time to fix rulings on the field before there's a full-blown replay review. I want to know why that gets you sometimes and not all the time. Why does sometimes the guy have to throw the red flag to overturn the ruling on the field? And why at other times does this process activate itself without the replay process being initiated by someone? I think we just need to get to the point where it's like it is in college. All questionable calls get reviewed. And I don't think you have to do it for every single play. I proposed this years ago. There should be automatic replay review for any play that was or wasn't a score, any play that was or wasn't a turnover, and any play that was or wasn't a first down. And maybe you just do it for everything in the final two minutes of each half and over time, just to be safe. I don't think you need to do it when a guy runs the ball on first and 10 and he gains three yards, according to the official, but maybe replay review would show it was two. I don't think you need to do that. I think you need to use it more sparingly in order to keep the game moving, but also we shouldn't get so caught up in keeping the game moving that we're willing to let things be wrong. We're willing to tolerate errors because we got to get done. Where are we going? We're a captive audience. We're watching these games. We want to watch football. How many great games? And we're like, man, I wish that game was still going. 
So, you know, when you're talking about a minute here, a minute there, grand scheme of things, oh, you know, the average length for a game, we've gone from 304 to 304.20. We better do something about that. Who cares? Who cares? Get it right. Hopefully they'll figure that out. I, I heard from somebody over the weekend that the push for real change, the officiating function is starting to get some traction, whether it's full-time officials or other measures. So stay tuned. All right. Matt C. So Matt Eberflew stays in Chicago. Fine. If Fields also stays, who's the offensive coordinator who can work with him like the Ravens worked with Lamar Jackson? Similar skill set, but it seems like they've been putting a square peg into a round hole to this point. Look, here's the biggest problem with keeping Matt Eberflus and firing Luke Getz, the offensive coordinator. Eberflus, by all appearances, is on the hot seat for 2024. Makes it harder to hire a good offensive coordinator. Even if you have a multi-year contract that's guaranteed, you walk through the door as the savior or not of the employment of everyone in the building on the coaching staff. If the offense gets fixed, everyone's saved. If it doesn't, everyone's gone, including you. Makes it hard to hire good candidates who have options. You always want to get the candidate who's got three, four, five different places he can go and chooses you. You don't want to be the place where they got nowhere else to go. And that happened with the Bears, frankly. There was a time Lovey Smith was on the hot seat. Mike Martz was the offensive coordinator. He wasn't choice one or two or three or four, if I recall correctly. It just felt like they needed somebody who would take the job because people who had other alternatives did not want to have that extra pressure on them. Tom Marshall again, where will you be doing the show from in Las Vegas? I'd like to pop by. I don't know. I think it's something, there's a convention center in Mandalay Bay or something like that. I really don't know. It's so weird to think that that's going to be the full focus of my life in just a few weeks, but we're so consumed with playoffs, the games this weekend, we've got a division around game, and then I'll have two weeks, two weeks to plan for our inevitable trip to Las Vegas. We'll be somewhere. I'll keep you posted. All right. Probably time to wrap this up. I'm just scrolling through this to see what else we have here. Froggy talks. Isn't assuming that Vrabel is going to the Patriots tampering. If it's talked about so openly and it, as it is, doesn't that put a nail in the coffin for Vrabel going to the Patriots? It's one thing for us to connect the dots. We can connect the dots all we want. It's only tampering if the Patriots are acting on it. And I made this point earlier. PFT Live. We were talking about the Vrabel firing. Amy Adams Strunk, the controlling owner of the Tennessee Titans, decided not to try to trade Mike Vrabel. Too many moving parts, delays the process too long. That doesn't mean she's going to look the other way if she thinks at the end of the day there was tampering with Vrabel. And I think that's why the Patriots have to be very careful. They have to create the impression that Vrabel was the guy they picked at the end of a search process that looks real and legitimate. And that it wasn't done and arranged and worked out ahead of time. And I think teams probably will be careful because of what happened to Stephen Ross a couple of years ago. One and a half million dollar fine, first round draft pick gone, suspended from early August through the middle of October for trying to line up Sean Payton and Tom Brady to be the coaching quarterback for 2022. But we know this stuff happens. The question is how smart are you about doing it? How careful are you? And I'm not saying it's right, I'm just saying it happens. How careful are you about the communications? Burner phones, encrypted messaging. I don't even, I don't know enough about those technologies to do anything other than spitball. 
But we've all seen enough TV to know that you go buy a track phone or whatever they call them now, you do your business that way. Or people have face-to-face -face meetings that never happened. How many times have you sat down with somebody or had a phone conversation with somebody and they say, this conversation never happened? And you agree just because you want to find out what they're going to tell you. So it's only tampering if there's enough evidence to prove that it's tampering. Us talking about it, us connecting the dots doesn't make it tampering. Now, are the Patriots the best option for Vrabel? That's a different issue. I'm starting to think they did him a favor by firing him. He's now out there. This isn't now a question of whether he goes back to New England. This is a question of what other jobs come open and where he may go. And again, this whole Andy Reid retirement thing, it's something to keep an eye on. Wouldn't that be something if he retires and Vrabel's available? Vrabel played for the Chiefs for a couple of years. It's just something to keep an eye on. All right. I should probably wrap this up. Plenty of good questions, but here's one more. Uh, Brad Dugan, will the Carolina Panthers have interest in Mike Frabel? After Frank Reich was fired, or Frank Reich as the case may be, they put the word out they're looking for an offensive coach. Frabel's a defensive guy. And I also don't see one of the things about Rabel, and I always like this saying, he doesn't suffer fools. It sounds very fancy. It sounds, sounds like a little Shakespearean. But he's not going to put up with a lot of crap. And he would not put up with David Tepper, wearing him out, wanting to get together every Monday to talk about the game, wanting to give him ideas about this, that, or the other thing, wanting to tell him that the quarterback's footwork's broken, so you need to fix it. He's not going to want to work with David Tepper. And I don't think David Tepper's going to want to work with him. He should. He should be willing to hire him, give him the keys, and get out of the way. But I don't think he's going to do that. Justin Pursuti, back to a topic that we discussed earlier in the podcast. Do you think making NFL playoff games essentially pay-per-view will become normalized with stopping ESPN or CBS from airing their respective playoff games on Paramount Plus or ESPN Plus like NBC has done with Peacock? Nothing in theory, but look, it's a delicate dance in which the NFL and the broadcast partners are engaged. Amazon, ESPN, there's been exclusive ESPN Plus games already. London game, each of the last two years, one of the games from London, I think. I think it was London, not Germany. Exclusive on ESPN Plus. Amazon every Thursday night. The question becomes, at what point does Congress take another look at the Sports Broadcasting Act of 1961? That's the law that gave the NFL antitrust exemption for selling a full package of games together. So it's not the Cowboys sell their games for $2 billion and the Jaguars sell their games for $20 million. It's everything together. You want to be part of this? You pay a price, a flat fee for the whole shebang. The ability to do that, but for the Sports Broadcasting Act of 1961, would not exist. It would be an antitrust violation for the league to come together, 32 separate businesses, and sell their rights that way. So, if enough games that otherwise would be on broadcast TV start getting pulled away to pay-per-view, to streaming only. And Congress says, we need to take a look at that broadcast antitrust exemption. That could be where things get interesting. 
and I've written about this before. There's an argument to be made that once the NFL pivots to streaming, the Broadcasting Act of 1961 does not apply and the antitrust exemption goes away, that it only applies to the games that are broadcast on three-letter networks over the air. Now, no one challenged it once they started making games available exclusively on cable. But once it goes off TV altogether and goes to streaming, could be an interesting legal issue the NFL has to deal with, and the NFL could end up with a situation where it's an antitrust violation to say to the networks, you can't just do business with the Cowboys. You have to do business with everyone. You can't just do business with the Packers. You can't just do business with the team that has the hot quarterback next year. You got to do business with everybody. All right. Uh, let's. Oh, last question. King 36. When did the NFL remove the local TV blackout rule? There was a time, I think around 2015, 2016, they suspended it. Maybe a little earlier than that. They suspended it. And then it just never came back. And initially, the NFL blacked out games played by the home team in the local market, even if they were sold out. Richard Nixon threatened the NFL with, I assume, some sort of antitrust action if they didn't get rid of that, because he wanted to be able to watch Washington without having to go to the stadium. It then morphed into, at some point, something that applies only when, and it was like 72 hours before kickoff, 72 or 48, I think it was 72, and they would give extensions. If the non-premium seats weren't sold out within 72 or 48 hours of kickoff, and some teams would have their games blacked out. Sometimes they'd extend it. Sometimes somebody would buy up the tickets and donate them. Now that's just gone. And they resisted getting rid of it because they thought that if it was too easy to watch it on TV, people wouldn't go to the games. And then when you turn the game on, nobody's there. Why am I watching if nobody's there? That's what they were worried about. Now, you rarely see empty seats at stadiums. And I think one thing you're going to see in the future, I don't know when, I don't know how distant, you're going to see smaller stadiums. And I've made this point before, I think on PFT Live and maybe here, I can't remember. I say the same thing so many damn times, I can't remember when I said it and where and how long I talked about it. But smaller stadium, because the profit margin from the upper deck, it doesn't justify the headache of having the upper deck. 40,000, still a trade on TV, it's full. All that matters is that all of the available seats are taken. Now, it can't be 20, and it can't be 20,000. It can't be a basketball arena, but you could get away with 40,000 and televise it in a way that makes it seem loud and exciting and it's packed together. So anyway, that wasn't the question asked, but that was the question I decided to answer. That's it for today. Thanks, as always, for some of your time. We'll be on standby to do an emergency PFTPM if and when Bill Belichick and the Patriots part ways over the next couple of days. Otherwise, it's PFT Live on Thursday, PFT Live on Friday, and in between the Joint Mega Picks podcast with the six Super Wildcard games. That's coming on Thursday as well. Doors are always open, profootballtalk.com. We'll see you there. Thanks.
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 